0: You have reached the Geek Elite. Good luck. Welcome back to another episode of Geek Elite Media's VHS Gems, the podcast in which we open up this little treasure box of nostalgia movies from the time of VHS and all that fun stuff that happened in the 80s and 90s and straight to video Disney movies. (laughs) We open up that treasure box and we see if the gemstone that's revealed is a movie that we think is... Still totally awesome as it is, if it's a movie that needs to be redone, or if it's a movie that's just not worth even being considered a gemstone at all, because I'm a writer and I like metaphors, so I went with it. (laughs) Um, I'm Jessica, and I'm joined with John. Hello. And today we are going to be talking about the movie The Abyss, 1989. 1989. John Cameron
1: The Abyss. James. <laughs>
0: <laughs> two years in the making. I actually watched the trailer of this one because I was like I know I've seen The Abyss because it's oddly one of my mom's favorite movies but I always only remember two scenes from it and it's a, like the one implosion scene of the bad guy and then the very last big giant spaceship scene; those are the two scenes I always vividly remember.
1: Um, I always remember the rat drowning into that hyper oxygenated water. I was like, always finding drowning it creepy.
0: slash not drowning. It's fine. It's just yeah. anxiety. Am like, You know, oh God,
1: I, dude. And I do want to preface it by saying right away, um, drowning is one of my least favorite ways to go that i can think of i mean there's no Same. real super pleasant way but this combined no. with like the extreme cold and the claustrophobic nature of some of those scenes is just a whole lot of nope for me like yeah no it's yeah it's bad
0: <laughs> i am kind of claustrophobic like if i can feel like i'm getting air then I'm okay like I can be in a really tight tunnel and be fine because there's air flowing but I can't have a blanket over my head because the air feels hot to me so and I've never tried an oxygen tank on so I don't know how that would work or not with that I my dad's a firefighter so maybe there's some genetic ingrain that I'll be okay with oxygen tanks <laughs> but but in, deep diving deep deep diving really deep diving I don't know about that. That's just, that's too much can go wrong. I don't even love going like too far underground because like earthquakes <laughs> and like getting stuck and suffocation and just, I don't know. Why add the risk? I guess it can just stay down there. I don't need to know what it is.
1: (laughs) I I think it takes a certain amount of crazy to be one of those deep-sea divers that also goes into those underwater caves. Because I've heard just one too many horror stories of the people that get stuck in those and they can't get out and they end up just suffocating because their oxygen runs out. And, like, they can't even, like... The idea of, like... You know, basically crawling in through a hole underwater in a cave in Uh darkness where your whole body barely fits one way, can't back out. You're just stuck in there. Uh, It's, like, probably, like, a thousand times worse than getting a CAT scan.
0: (laughs) Yeah, probably.
1: I don't like it. Yeah. This movie has a few triggering factors, which I wasn't, like, didn't count on this time around.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I think there were several times where... um. I was watching this with my mom, and I was like, wait, you like this movie? And she's like, I must have forgotten this part. <laughs> Which was basically, like, the initial sub-search thing. But before we get too far into it, um, as mentioned before, this is a Cameron movie made after he did Aliens and... What's the other one? Terminator 2. I think he did those at, around the time. And this was apparently a really hard movie to film. Which makes sense, because, yeah. (laughs) A lot
1: of underwater scenes, a lot of, yeah, really... I mean, just in some of the parts that are obviously sets, but they have all that water coursing through it, I mean, that's got to be so hard to film.
0: It's got to be difficult. And then also the CGI aspects of it, too, of the actual aliens, and that stuff was really, really cool, but also still kind of sort of new technology, too, so... I imagine that made it difficult. And yeah, th- those mm-hmm. underwater scenes, there's so many of them. They're so realistic looking. They freak you out. And I imagine that has to be hard. It yeah. just has to be hard.
1: But this is um, also a great special effect movie because it's one of the, those every trick in the book where it uses miniatures, rear projection. Um, Mm -hmm. stop motion in a couple of parts I could tell Um, and of course yeah one of the earliest best uses of kind of a realistic CGI element um, which up until then was more relegated to being stylistic because it was limited so you had your movies like Tron The Last Starfighter You know, some of these 80s movies that did have heavy use of CGI, but it was very specific and obviously, yeah, yeah, it it was to make things look, you know, more computery, I guess you could say. Yeah. This was, I think, one of the first real attempts to make something look photorealistic um, in feature film. And Mm -hmm. I mean, this paved the way for essentially the revolution of CGI that came later in the, the 90s.
0: Yeah, and all those little Marvel animated shows in 94 that (laughs) always used random CGI scenes that just did not work very well for them. (laughs) You can listen to our Geeks Watch podcast to hear more about my opinions on Marvel animated shows in the 90s. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, The Abyss starts out with... A sub, an American sub, finding something on its radar, and it seemingly is going way faster than anything should be allowed to go underneath the sea. And they get really close to a trench to figure out what it is, and that thing ends up being a weird-looking light, which, of course, they think, because it's the 80s, they think at the time it's the Russians. And their power goes out, and then, naturally, they hit the side of the trench, So they sink, a lot of people die because they had to know what was going on, and it falls down to the bottom of the trench. Yep. Then you cut to, yep, yeah, that's that's (laughs) basically it. It's just, what's that? Oh, we should probably not follow it into the trench. I will say I liked how this scene did show really well how they sort of figure out where they're at undersea like how they knew where the trench was because you see that they're looking at the trench map and then they're looking at where they're at and then there's this big graph thing and guys like doing math on the spot like being like yeah. getting too close and then the proximity things i don't go know off.
1: i don't know how accurate any of it all that of that submarine like procedural stuff is but man did it look accurate <laughs> i'm just gonna go ahead and oh, say yeah then that person working on that clear board and, like, doing the math and stuff, I was like, hey, that's, like, just like on Yavin 4 with the, you know, plotting the the Death Star run and all that.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, it does look a lot like Yavin 4.
1: (laughs) Which will make sense. But, um, yeah, yeah, that's all. The whole beginning sequence is, like, what, maybe five minutes tops. But, yet they set up so much action of the sub not understanding what it is that they're picking up on their radar because it's moving like impossibly fast. Mm -hmm. They do suspect right away that this could be the Russians. And what really causes the problem here is that whatever this thing is, it seems to kill the power to the sub. So in in those few seconds that they go blind, I guess, or powerless, then that's when they end up crashing into the side of the the trench, yeah, which sets up the, the plot of the story.
0: Yep, because after that, um, Navy helicopters arrive on some kind of civilian ship. You later on find out it's a ship that is over a deep-sea oil rig, from what I understood. Um, Yeah, some kind
1: of an underwater drilling platform.
0: Yeah, underwater drilling platform, and off that helicopter comes higher-ups in the Navy as well as a couple of Navy SEALs and then a woman in suede shoes because why not wear suede shoes on a Navy ship Um, or on any sort of ship because suede is not good with salt water or water in general. Um, The introduction that you get to this woman, which is repeated constantly, is that she's a bitch.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I got that impression. Yeah.
0: Yeah. People don't seem to like her. like... Whoa! <laughs> like, okay. Um, and basically, she's she's the one, you find out later on, yay women, who designed this really awesome badass oil rig ship thing. And she's pissed that the Navy's coming in to take it over, even though she doesn't fully understand why, but she's pissed about that. And meanwhile, the Navy goes and talks down to the oil rig down below um, to a guy named Virgil, he was credited as being Bud on IMDb though, so I got really confused. Uh,
1: yeah, they. they <laughs> I think that's supposed to be a joke, but yeah, his his real name is Virgil, but he makes everybody call him Bud. Um, that reminded me kind of. Uh, I don't know if it'd be in a reference or not, but um, in the right stuff, both the the disney plus show and the movie um which Mm -hmm. is all the story of the gemini project leading into the apollo missions and all that with uh, the space program in the 60s um Mm -hmm. one of the pilots uh was gus grissom yeah but his real name was also virgil
0: virgil so like
1: (laughs) he he was always embarrassed and he would always make everybody call him gus instead so i'm thinking that's kind of what they're doing here with him it was like, my name's Bud. And I was like, no, your name's Virgil. You know, it's like oh, name's trying to, he's trying to trying to own the nickname of like, no, call me Bud. It's better than Virgil. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, you do later on find out that Virgil and Lindsay is her name, the bitch, <laughs> um, which I'm really only saying because they literally say this word to identify yeah. her all the time. I mean, I'm glad she you're is... bringing
1: that up because I didn't want to. But yes, that that it's, yeah. it's, um, it's like almost her last name. That's how often they say it.
0: it It almost is and I want like I didn't like it at first but probably by the end I'm like okay I I guess even then I still don't like it because she's not a bitch she's just a woman that knows what she wants and goes for it and doesn't let anybody walk over her like that's basically what makes her a bitch and you're like no that's just a person being a person and just being strong willed like you know but at the same time she even kind of sort of calls herself a bitch, too. So it's like, well, okay, fine. And it is the 80s, so. Yeah. There you go. It is what it is, I guess, in that reference. But I really, I will say I really liked how her character was written otherwise. Yeah, she was like, really cool. Yeah, she's really well-written character. But yeah. Um, they are married. Virgil and Lindsay are married. And apparently, they have a long-term, long-distance relationship because <laughs> she was not on the rig for a while and he's down underwater. Well, my, um, I,
1: didn't they mention that they were, like, separated? Like, they're one step away from actually going forward with the divorce?
0: I feel like it, probably. But I feel like if they hadn't done anything official yet. Oh, no, no. Yeah,
1: it definitely wasn't official, but we had that one scene where um, Bud, <laughs> Brickman, uh, goes and digs Virgil. into his toilet because he had thrown away his wedding band. Yeah. And he, like, he decided gets to fish at... it out.
0: Yeah. Well, because once you, which We're kind of jumping ahead there, but basically the Navy tells Virgil over the phone that they lost the sub and they need to recover it because naturally it's a nuclear sub, so you need to re- recover the nukes. And the Navy can't come in to do it because... A hurricane is coming, so they need to get it done as quick as possible because it's going to be too dangerous to try to get those nukes out. So they are hiring on the crew at three times their normal pay bonus to find the Navy sub for them and to help the SEALs get to the Navy sub and to get the nuclear warheads, whatever, accounted for, I guess. And they did... Sort of, so they all are kind of sort of on board because three times the pay. And eventually, Lindsay and the Navy SEALs go down to join the rig, which I absolutely loved how Lindsay piloted the little submarine thing because she just was so chill with it and so in her element anytime she was in those subs and you're like this lady's cool because like at first you establish oh she's like a bitchy businesswoman is what they kind of sort of try to establish her with and then oh no she's actually really just a cool strong-willed woman Uh, she's just piloting that thing just like (laughs) just rocking around the navy seals in the back
1: (laughs) yeah from a like in a retrospective point of view like you can kind of tell now or at least i can um, this might have been more apparent uh, depending on your experiences, but yeah, growing up and watching it, I did kind of think like, like, does she really have to be that mean? Like, does she have to like be such a you know bitch as you know is being said? But then now I realize it from this point of view, it's like, oh no, like she probably had to deal with a lot of shit growing up and put up yeah. with a lot of other men in her way, and yeah. like you just have to stop being nice and just have to, you know. Really put it out there that you're not going to let something or someone, or in this case, an entire patriarchy, essentially, you know, keep putting barriers in front of you that wouldn't exist for a member of the opposite sex. So I was like, yeah, okay, I get it now. And I see how it's always been there. (laughs) mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, it's one of those things you don't really pick up in the 80s or early 90s when you see this as a kid. You're just kind of like, she's a mean lady, but she knows what she's doing. And I was like, okay, there's definitely subtext there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm glad you can see it now. I'm glad people are seeing it now. Because yeah, basically, a patriarchy does kind of sort of make women choose between being the humble housewife woman, like meek Woman, or if you're anything other than that, then you're a bitch. Like, there's no just being a person in between. There's, I mean, (laughs) it's it's either meek or bitch. Those glass
1: ceilings are the here for real.
0: Oh yeah, those yeah. Don't even get me started on glass ceilings. But (laughs) (laughs) which I'm sure um, Lindsay had to fight through a lot of glass ceilings because not only does she pilot the sub, which I really wish we kind of sort of got her background, but she designed this oil rig which to yeah. me means she's like an engineer and that's awesome which and she, also at the time would yeah
1: yeah and she, and she's very hands on too that's another thing i realized upon what this rewatch is mm-hmm. like she's constantly like fixing stuff like she's turning knobs yes. and like fiddling with you know valves and She's very instrumental to so much about what keeps them all alive at the end. So it's like, oh yeah, like she's on top of it. She's just had to deal with you know just Mm -hmm. unnecessary roadblocks. So that's gonna make you kind of a very terse, kind of a curt person in in your normal dealings at some point.
0: Yeah, and like the other thing is, if she did, if you take the character or the person Lindsay and you make it a male, it would not be weird.
1: Yeah, not that's, at all.
0: That's how you really... It would not be weird for a man who designed an oil rig to be pissed at people taking it over. <laughs> like, you wouldn't call him a bitch. Like, it would yeah. just be a dude in charge, you know? I didn't so, think this was going to
1: break down into, like, a gender studies. But, yeah, like, there's there's a lot of interesting stuff in here.
0: Oh, yeah. No. I mean, it was going to when she came out in the suede shoes. But then quickly changed into white converse to be on the ship. And I was like, this lady. Very well-written. Which... I. Like, no matter how she said, I, I will know. I do think Cameron actually does write women well. Or not that he wrote it, though. He directed it. He does direct women well. I don't know if he wrote it. Never mind. Before I say that. But anyway. No, oh, it was James Cameron. Other, yeah. Oh, he did write it? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um. But I think Alien, too, where, you know, Ripley is a woman. And he didn't change anything in the script. Because a woman is a person. So why do you need to change anything in the script? Like, I respect that. Like, I like that. Especially for its time. Like, thank you. I think it was Cameron who made that decision to not change anything just because they...
1: Well, he didn't do the first Alien. That was Ridley Scott. But he did definitely keep that train moving forward with, like, just making her the badass. Because Ridley does save everybody. Ridley Scott. Um. Yeah. And same with Sarah Connor. Like in the first Terminator, you know, Sarah Connors mm-hmm. like played as a really normal, just kind of everyday LA woman in the eighties. And by the time yeah. Terminator two comes around, she's just like a consummate badass. That's just like it's a survivor, is a fighter. I mean she's got those guns that were like just like really badass back in the day. Mm-hmm. And um Yeah. Yeah. That's um oh. after that, yes. I don't know. He's done a few other things that haven't been quite as good. They've been more Kind of, did he
0: do Titanic? He did. See, and see now you might think no, no, but I actually don't hate the I not that I remember her name, but the lead female's role. I don't hate how she's written in that one. Was it Rose? Like she, she yeah, she does take charge and goes and tries to save things and, you know, tries to sort of point out people's privilege and
1: shit. Like she actually Well, yeah. She's she's much more progressive than would have been normal at the time because yeah. she's referencing Flo- Freud and uh, talking yeah. about art by Picasso and like mm-hmm. basically like everything that she's talking about is almost like from a prescient point of view because obviously it's yeah. written in, in retrospect but all the other characters just kind of dismiss her and I was like okay But by the time Avatar rolls around then the female character is definitely taking a backseat to the male protagonist
0: but still, of the other female roles in Avatar, they're still fairly well written, though.
1: Oh, yeah. I, like, I'll yes, agree. it's
0: a male protagonist, but the, the Avatar girl, she's cool and strong and powerful. But the, the lead scientist lady... Uh, also uh, Sigourney okay, Weaver. Who was mine. <laughs> also, yeah. Yeah. She's written really well. Like... Badass scientist woman, and then the the mm, Torres is that the actress's name Torres the the helicopter flying pilot lady. Oh, uh,
1: Michelle Rodriguez, really pissed that she
0: died. Yes, Michelle. Okay, my bad. I'm sorry, uh, Michelle Rodriguez.
1: <laughs> I mean, her, her also name really the movie well might have been Torres. written.
0: <laughs> Maybe that's what it is. I don't know. I'm really bad with names, um, but you know, still actually fairly well written. It's definitely the point of view of a male. It's definitely narrated by a male, but the female roles in there are written as in women are people. Yep. There we go. And they all pass the, um, oops.
1: The Bechdel test?
0: There we go. Bechdel (laughs) test. I think, I think Titanic passes it. You know what? Actually, I'm not for sure. But Avatar does. For sure. So, which it's not hard to pass that test. Anyways, Mm -hmm. um, on to the abyss. Ooh, will this one pass it? I think the Abyss does pass it, but barely. Barely. Because <laughs> all it has to have is two females, which it does. It has Lindsay and it has... I uh, forgot her name, the cowboy hat lady.
1: Um, One night, I think they called her.
0: Yeah, one yeah, night. Lisa. They have to have... Yes, they have to have a conversation, which they do. And they have to have a conversation that is not centered around relationships are men, which they do because there is a s- scene in which she tells Lindsay, like, you pilot it, you're better than me.
1: But it does pass the Bechdel test. But that submarine is pretty phallic looking.
0: But submarines are
1: phallic looking. <laughs> 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 yeah, I guess true. You can't really change the shape.
0: Yeah. Men designed them. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, more like it's streamlined, so it's just... You want streamlined stuff. so This is there true. You go. Phallic looking. Yeah. Um, there we go. So Lindsay goes down. She's pissed off about the oil. Right, and, you know the Navy SEALs being there. As soon as she comes down with a Navy SEAL. She does a speech about look out for the symptoms to. Um, what is it? It is hyper something the thing that can happen when you don't handle pressure changes really well
1: yeah it's like that's a, basically what it is like an oxygen psychosis or something like that
0: yeah. yeah yeah something like that hydrogen oxygen whatever and one of the guys is a medic which he basically like mansplains it to her and she's like okay <laughs>
1: it's like I yes the, it. the thing i just told you <gasps> about <laughs>
0: Yeah, the thing I just told you about. Thank you. Thank you for listening, <laughs> listening all the symptoms because I was about to do that. Um, naturally, one of the Navy SEALs guys like, oh, we're going to be fine. We're going to be fine. And naturally, he's the one that's going to end up getting that thing. Um, I referred to him while watching it and in my notes because I didn't bother to remember his name. I referred to him as Captain D-Head the yeah. entire time i have to say d head because i told that to my mother that that's what i was calling him and she said you can't say that on the podcast you can only say d head <laughs> i'm like okay
1: how about I'll Cap- only
0: say d head
1: captain captain douche nozzle how about that
0: no she doesn't like that word either like oh. she said oh. d head it is nothing else i was like pee head she's like no <laughs> <just D-." laughs> i'm like okay mom <laughs> But <laughs> that's what happens when I watch these movies with my mom. Though she's like, "No, you can't say that." Well, you can't. Okay.
1: You, you have to watch your mouth.
0: <laughs> yeah. What? Um, Which fun
1: fact? That was Kyle Reese from the Terminator movies.
0: Oh, okay it's been a long time since I watched the Terminator movies but yeah. I did think his face might familiar.
1: Most, most recently you would have seen him in The Mandalorian the episode with the Tano. Ooh. Yeah, he was
0: okay.
1: like he was the like the evil cowboy version on that town.
0: Oh. oh, that was cool. Okay. All right. Yeah, cool. I remember you geeking out over that. Yeah. When we were watching that for Geeks Watch. Uh, I was like, Michael B. Um, yeah. <laughs> So they're going in and they're talking about, you know, basically the mission to go to the sub, and then you get further introduced to the guy that I forever will call Rat Guy, which is (laughs) the conspiracy theorist of
1: I know. I was like Ooh, what character I can relate to? Awesome.
0: Yeah, it's it's the John of the Rig, but he also has a very adorable (laughs) pet rat so i called him rat guy because i instantly liked him and this was where i was getting like aliens vibe and i was like oh my gosh is everybody gonna die because if rat guy dies i'm not gonna make it like <laughs> i just really like this guy and he doesn't thankfully but he complains about he doesn't complain but he's like what do you mean there's gonna be radiation and then captain d had just like bites down his throat about complaining at all and he- and like oh and then he already has a shaky hands, so he's already showing symptoms of whatever that disease is or not disease but reaction is so you know he's going to be a problem later on um at this time too the medic i think his name was monk if i remember correctly i think that was the one name that stood out to me monk does the experiment on the rat which bugs me how much he called the rat he after rat guy kept (laughs) correcting him and saying it's a girl it's a girl she, like, it's it's a lady rat. Not all rats are boys. Um.
1: I mean, again, with the whole you know gender thing, we just for some reason we just always defaulted to everything as a he, for, and I don't know why that is a thing. Other, That's just
0: other than things that you own, because guy often reference their cars and their boats and other devices that they own as their property as she.
1: Oh, so that taking that further, then that can mean if a man feels ownership about something, he'll acknowledge its femininity, but if it's something that is not his, he will then automatically assume it is masculine, and therefore not his. This is messed up, man.
0: (laughs) Yes. Actually, I don't think I've ever even read studies about that, but I wonder if that... Like, I want to see if somebody has... Theorized that that well, men call property things that they own she and they call actual living things like dogs and whatever automatically he this, even women do this too
1: but this is kind of a tangent to that but I used to know a guy let's just say if the world turned into a Handmaid's Tale he would be uh-huh. more than ecstatic about this. And I always thought it was funny because he seemed oh. to have a sort of, let's just say, less than progressive. Is that? It's giving you heartburn hearing about this? No. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you're already bracing yourself for how awful like, the story's oh. going to be. Um, so, <clears throat> this person I used to know a long time ago, I no longer do. Um, mm-hmm. it, it was interesting because he, let's just say. To make it simple, he seemed to be anti-woman. However, every time he would play video games, he always He'd preferred to go... Yes, he would always like to have a female avatar. And I yeah. always thought that was interesting because um, really. he was just not very like pro-ladies, I want to say. so him. And then I realized, oh, he's not playing as that character. He's telling that female character what to do what in to this do. world. And I was like man like I remember having like a mind blow moment of like that's how deep it goes where you just even like I don't even think he was aware of it I think it's one of those situations where a person just has no like self-awareness for something like that but I just loved observing just that level of like ingrained just toxicity Mm -hmm. I was like ooh that's that's some issues right there
0: (laughs) yeah that's that's not good
1: no. So, so anyway, the movie.
0: <laughs> yeah, the movie. Um, so they go down to find the subs. They pretty much all go. Um, a team of the Riggers and the Seals go in in scubas, and then Lindsay and I already forgot the name of the other lady <laughs> go in <laughs> on in the sub thingies, the mini-subs. And Lindsay is taking pictures, and the guys... Are freaking out on the inside because dead bodies are creepy. Um, especially saltwater dead bodies are really creepy because they decompose like really, really, really quickly. Like they probably wouldn't even be that pristine looking as they are in the movie, even well, after like a day. But, I think because of yeah. the doesn't
1: the cold kind of preserve them? Or are you talking about because the like animals, the, like, those crabs that we the see? The animals one of
0: them? and the salt in the water, from what I understood. Mm. but the cold probably does help diminish it
1: as well and that was real Um, people pretending to be cadavers in the water right because it didn't look like dummies it looked like it was people who were holding their breath
0: (laughs) I don't that yeah it definitely did appear to be so they were very blue looking it was really creepy it was really creepy Um, one of the rig guys jammer freaks out when he sees crabs come out of one of the corpses Which, like, to be fair, I probably would freak out, too. Yeah. Um, And he basically has this moment saying, like, I can't go any further. And so he doesn't. But as he's waiting there, the strange lights come back. And so the power flickers on all their lights. And then on Lindsay's sub, the power flickers, too. It flickers off. And then the aliens show up. Jammer sees the alien, freaks out, ends up hitting the back of his tank. And... He basically reconfigures his tank so that there's too much oxygen coming in. Yeah. Um, which, yes, is actually bad for you. You can't just have 100% oxygen. <laughs> um, it's a delicate balance. And so they have to fix that. And Lindsay actually sees the alien as well. and But she doesn't manage to get a picture of it because her power's out. Um, But she sees, like, the little light thing, and she is instantly fascinated by it. She's not scared. She just thinks it's totally awesome, basically. Um, They, of course, basically abort the mission. They go back up. um, Jammer is in a coma, and the medic's like, I don't know what to do, (laughs) but he's in a coma. Yeah, it's like, it could be
1: hours, it could be days.
0: Yeah. And while that's happening the navy seals talk to their captain or whoever above and he's like and they talk about how only lindsay saw this alien russian probe is what they call it at first and instantly the guy's like you need to go down get a nuke and basically arm it and i'm like that seems like a great idea but there you go um (laughs) So they just steal one of the subs, which, of course, it's the sub that they need to detach from the ship above, which is attached to them by a giant cable so they can communicate to the thing above and then also other reasons. I'm not for sure, Um, but they need to detach because the hurricane is coming, which is going to make the ship move a lot, which is going to make the cable move a lot, which is going to pull the rig around. Which we know because that eventually happens, because as the SEALs are going to get their stupid nuclear warhead, they now don't have time to unhook the cable. So the cable does not get unhooked, unfortunately. And a poor crane guy dies because of the SEALs.
1: <laughs> yeah, because Which of their, about their hubris and their desire to... Rick mass destruction um did we talk about them taking a an, a warhead back to from the sub, and I think also yeah. some secret documents,
0: oh yeah, so okay, so during all of that, what the navy shields are actually doing they're they're taking part of a nuclear warhead, and the secret documents was like how to arm it basically, so that's why those documents said secret secret because it was just how to actually do the thing that they needed to do with a nuclear warhead. Um, And they're going to take it back with basically the intent to arm it and then put it back on the sub so that they can blow up the sub from afar. From what I was understanding. So they take it back to the rig, and then that's when um, the crew goes and tries to detach it. They can't detach from the cable. The ship is really moving which wow they did such a good job all the actors on the ship to show what it's like to be in a storm and how the boat like moves and how you react to it moving (laughs) no it looked really cool
1: knowing how much a stickler cameron is for like authenticity i'm sure that they had that set actually like tilting like that instead of the actors just miming the the leaning Cause uh, yeah, yeah. that looked really like the physics of their movement looked really natural. (laughs)
0: Yeah, I feel like that, though, because these are people that should not have been getting motion sick, but some of them looks like they were, like, actually getting motion sickness. Because if they actually live on a ship like that, they probably don't get motion sickness that bad. But there were a few people on that set that were like, oh, my God. <laughs> like, so I had a feeling that they actually were rocking and rolling on some pretty crazy waves. Um, no. This is definitely one movie. I don't always love to watch behind the scenes i feel like this one i would love watching the behind the scenes for oh yeah to figure out like
1: yeah i think i uh, if i remember correctly i think this was a movie where the guy that plays virgil or bud in this case and james mm-hmm. cameron actually almost came to blows with each other over like how dangerous it seemed to be sometimes with all that water on the sets and um oh yeah like i think they actually almost came down to straight up fighting each other um, that's awesome and, I mean, oh, awesome. I, I just realized in <laughs> yeah, my little reference earlier to The uh, to um, the Right Stuff, uh, Ed Harris, mm-hmm. who plays Virgil Bud Brickman, was also in The Right Stuff movie. Yes. He, what,
0: played, so he played John Sheffer? Glenn. Oh, Glenn. Every time. Glenn.
1: Yeah, he played John Glenn. Okay. Who, back All in right. the day, that was my favorite, because that's the one we learned about the most in school. Like, oh, John Glenn was the first human to orbit, or the first American to orbit the earth so i was like oh well that one's gonna be my hero and then i found out oh but there was another one that went up before him and then there was another one that did the first spacewalk and yeah Yeah. all these other ones yeah so it's pretty
0: yeah they all got to do their first thing so yeah Yeah. shepherd i think was his name was the first one to launch into space and then i think glenn was the one after him
1: uh the third one i think
0: the third one? Okay. I think the
1: second one. one was Gus Grissom. That was the one. That's why I remember him. And he was played by the guy from Tremors, the one who, who was like the best friend of Kevin Bacon. I can't remember his name off the top of my head right now. Oh, yeah. Um, okay. But uh, yeah, he was the one that was famous for Blowing the Hatch, which sunk the pod, which was like a big ordeal. And again, yeah. we're going off topic a little bit there, but <laughs> going back to this one. Uh, so where are we now? That... Uh, We're trying Uh, to recover from almost being sunk by the...
0: Yeah. Yeah. They Basically, they almost got sunk. Um, The crane falls. It does some damage to the rig, mainly because the rig gets dragged really close to the trench, and then a giant crane falls almost on it, and then it just pulls it even further to the edge of the trench. Um, Thankfully, it doesn't fall on it. But the rig is badly damaged. Um, Water is leaking in some spots. Um, A couple of the crew do die in that situation and also some people get kind of sort of separated from each other including Crazy, Captain D-Head, and one (laughs) of the Navy Seals is with the bomb and then everybody else is in the center hub kind of sort of area. I don't know. I don't know exactly where they're at during the entire time. Lynn's goes out to basically fix the outside of the rig or see exactly what the damage is. And as she does that, her power cuts off and she sees yet another beautiful, light alien. Um, This time, not only does she see the tiny baby one, but she sees a bigger one that floats by her and she actually reaches out and touches it. And it looks so flippin' cool like Mm -hmm. like light up fish stingray thing but kind of sort of machiney but like also kind of sort of jellyfishy like it's just really just really a neat thing um she does manage to take a photo this time now granted it's a photo of you know like those typical ufo photos (laughs)
1: just like a streak of light light of light
0: yeah like that's that's a comment but um she, one of my favorite things about this is Lindsay has just sold the incident. She's like, no, it's aliens. And she just, instantly she's like, that was not a human. That was an extraterrestrial. Um, Only, like, maybe not from outer space, maybe just from the deep, basically. That was that was her whole thing. And she tells this to the whole crew. And her husband, Virgil, is like, can you not freak them out? And she's <laughs> like, what's there to freak out about? It was nice. <laughs>
1: Yeah, they seem peaceful.
0: Yeah, they seem peaceful. Which I will note. Even the conspiracy guy, he wasn't like totally freaked out. He was like, "Yeah, aliens, duh." <laughs> he wasn't like super like, "Oh my god, they're gonna kill us." He was like, "This is awesome, conspiracy guy."
1: Like, yeah, he was super <laughs> fixated on like what to call them because of the acronyms that that she had yeah. come up with. So it was like
0: non-terrestrial, like, non-terrestrial.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's what it was. Non-terrestrial intelligent beings at NTBs or something like that. Yeah, It's um, like, "Oh,
0: NTBs, that's better than UFO. <gasps> oh, unidentifying floating object, like it still yeah. works or
1: something. So this is the it's point like, oh where it God, basically dude. becomes like a, like, close encounters of the third kind, but underwater with how it's been developing so far. And the military, I mean, crazy. It, okay. well, specifically because of Captain D-Head. Um, who's a lieutenant actually, so we should call him lieutenant d head um, he oh, okay. is um, he becomes one mi- like single minded I guess, and you can definitely tell the progression of the psychosis is taken over because he 's got the crazy eyes he 's got the sweats he 's jittery he 's paranoid he 's convinced this has to be a Russian thing, and it 's our duty even though we 're cut off and we haven 't received orders we have to detonate this nuke. yeah and I don't know about you, but one of the tropes that I've hated since I was a kid is the basically the the douchebag military people that will just not listen, and their first and only instinct is to wanna like start war or start firing, you know shoot first, ask questions later. And this yeah. is, like, one of those perfect encapsulations of that.
0: I think I think in my notes, I was like, this is how war crimes happen. Like,
1: just, <laughs> this is
0: exactly how war crimes happen. One soldier goes crazy and not a single other soldier in that platoon is going to be like, maybe we shouldn't. Like, and this was definitely an example of that because Lieutenant D-Head is definitely going nuts. But the guy with him, he's fine. But he's like this seems logical and i'm like no it's not dude look at his hands they are shaking you were told the symptoms of this disease thingy that i can't remember the name of like dude he is not okay you need to report to your co <laughs> that you have suspicion of a possible <laughs> possible issue a possible like, traitor like, you're, possible you're, war crime happening yeah
1: you're you're not all right in the head right now
0: yep so yeah no not good um uh let's see so Lindsay finds out the, okay no rat guy spies on the navy seal guys that's what it is he uses one of their little drone subs to spy on the navy seals guys and he finds the nuke that they're working on a nuke and he instantly goes and shows virgil and this is one of those really good shots where like rat guy and virgil are looking at a TV and it's focused on them, on them figuring it out and then in the background is a doorway and Lindsay appears in the doorway, but it doesn't focus on her until you realize she heard everything that was said and it goes to focus on her. And it was just a really good frame of shot. I think that's what it's called. It's a reference where you have like three people like in three triangle points and how you're changing the focus. It was just a really good shot. I wish mm-hmm. we could put pictures on podcasts because that would be a picture I would put up of like her in the background in this backlit doorway, freaking out because there's a nuke on her rig, and then Rat Guy standing over a computer with um, Virgil sitting looking at the same computer. <laughs> like it was just a really good frame of reference, just really great. Um Yum. really good shot. Cameron's really good with camera shots and angles, though. So yep. and
1: that's yeah, that's a
0: given. Um. She freaks out and just basically runs to the dude and is like, What do you mean you stuck a nuke on my ship? Like, how dare you? Like, get it off. Like, whatever. And then that ends up pissing him off. So he has a freak out and has the buddy with him, you know, basically try to detain her. Um, eventually they back off, though, thankfully... I don't know why Lindsay, but, I mean, she, Lindsay does back off eventually, but she did not look like she wanted to back off. She was going to murder that guy. And you see that that guy was fooling on Cuckoo because he was going to straight up murder her because he was holding his gun <laughs> behind him the entire time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: oh, it's high pressure nervous syndrome is what it's called.
0: There you go. High pressure nervous syndrome. Hypertension was what I was thinking. <laughs>
1: yeah, they're really stressed <laughs> out. <laughs>
0: yeah they're really stressed out under the sea um, <laughs> um let's see what happens then i like i need well,
1: to well we have a little altercation where they're like hey i want that thing off my ship and he's like hey whatever yeah. and then everybody's just kind of like beaten and just waiting because they can't do anything because of the storm so they're all just kind of lounging around and that's when the the I guess you could call it the alien probe decides oh, to come they in they go
0: to sleep and then the yeah. alien comes in so through the room so they have a room in the rig which is basically where they launch the sub. so it has water in it um, like just like a pool of water in it even though they're fully submerged There's just like this one room with a pool of water if you understand how underwater subs work you, you get it but um, so the water which just kind of like turns and this is where the cgi is where it's just like this moving blob of water like a line of water snake of water i guess would be a way to go and it snakes his way to the rig crew when they're sleeping and Lindsay naturally is not sleeping um so she wakes up wakes everybody else up and the water mimics her face and what she does and then it mimics virgil's face and, and then she
1: sticks her finger in it and tastes it <laughs>
0: Yeah, she sticks her finger in it and tastes it and she realizes it's just seawater. Um, then they chase the water to the nuclear warhead because it's clearly not happy that that thing exists. <laughs> and it's
1: like, what you got alien, here?
0: Yeah, what's that, man? I don't <laughs> know if I'm chill with that. <laughs> I'm chill with you, but this
1: I was like, Not this really. Is, this has got to go.
0: This this got to go. I just live under the sea. Y'all beeped <laughs> into my zone. <laughs> like, what the crap, humans? I think I think on my notes I wrote humans. What this? Like, <laughs> why? <laughs> but um, <laughs> <laughs> Lieutenant D Head cuts off the water by literally shutting a door on it, and it, it does this thing. Where before it sinks in it like looks at Captain D head and you could see the life drain out of him as he realizes he just pissed off an alien species. And that's where he goes, I'm gonna commit you know, I'm gonna start a war with this alien species. Um because he's convinced that the alien wanted to take the nuke. Not that the alien was concerned about the nuke existing. So
1: Yeah, at that point as, he didn't care he whether listen. or not it was Russian. He just looked at it as an enemy. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's worse than a Russian. It's an alien. I don't understand it. So we're going to kill it. You know, that's that's most of history. I don't understand you, so I'm just going to kill you. <laughs> Pretty much, unfortunately. <laughs> we know better
1: nowadays. Do we? Kind of. No.
0: Do we? <laughs> You're right. Let's I think the, the people that need uh, to know
1: better still haven't.
0: <laughs> that's, that's fair. Hammonds are... Humans are humans. We're not great. But we're getting there. I have hope. I have faith. And trust in pixie dust. Uh, so, basically, he's crazy crazy now. He's, like, full-on crazy crazy. Um, uh, rat guy goes to try and spy. On them to see what they're doing. He finds out that they've set up the nuclear warhead to the drone that Rat Guy had apparently programmed to go try to find the aliens, just to like find them and say hi, I guess. Say hi back, I guess, more like. And but you know, Lieutenant D had put the nuclear warhead to it, so basically, it's going to lead the bomb to the aliens. Yeah, and, and it they had was a, a, it,
1: it was on a timer of like three hours, I think.
0: Yeah, yeah, something like that. Um, they want to stop that guy, but naturally that guy catches Rat Guy. That guy. <laughs> naturally, Lieutenant D-Head catches Rat Guy, and he basically tries to put the ship on lockdown. He locks everybody up. He and his friends with, I don't know, an Uzi. I don't know what that gun was, but it looked like yeah. kind of like an Uzi to me. Yeah, that was an um, Uzi. See, yeah, I don't... Was it, I don't think that was Navy regulation weaponry, but okay. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it I'm on the <laughs> It was.
1: It was definitely a submachine gun, and it was. It had a yeah. silencer, which I'm like, at that point, why do you need to like suppress the sound? But yeah, you know, yeah, that's that's what it was. I think it was more just to look cool.
0: Yeah, probably because he also did the little Rambo tie around his forehead. <laughs> I was yeah. like come on dude don't at, join the crazy you don't have point, this thing
1: Yeah, they just wanted to uh, to be heroes no matter the cost
0: yeah um, so they get locked up while the Navy SEALs are going to go do the thing that they're doing and they basically like trying to follow their lieutenant kind of sort of realizing he's probably crazy they should have realized it qu- quicker than that and then surprise Jammer is alive He pops out of his coma and just decks two Navy SEAL guys that are guarding the door, and he releases all of his friends. So, yay. We can hopefully stop the Navy SEAL guys. Yeah. Uh
1: (laughs) Not a fan of the way they had to do it, though. (laughs) I don't think they were either.
0: Yeah. Yeah,
1: probably not. So Having to swim. I mean, they've already made the point that they're, I don't know, how far under pressure already is ice-cold water. Yep. And they have to swim without any gear. Yep. Swim without any gear. All of that is just like, nope. Nope, 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 nope. I already have like this weird paranoia about open sea. And just all of those other elements combined, I'm like, nope. Definitely not going to be... Offshore oil rigger, underwater welder, none of that shit. No, like, I, I don't care none how much that. money they make; like, that's just not going to happen. They do make bank,
0: um, because it's dangerous. That's why they make bank. Their insurance, though. whoo uh, But because we have an insurance problem. But anyway, um, yeah, they, as you said, they do the crazy long swim in freezing cold water to sneak up on Lieutenant D Head. Virgil is the one that manages to get there. First, he does a horrible job of sneaking up on him. He should have just yeeted that pipe thing at Captain D-Head instead of actually trying to hit him. Or A, steal the gun first. Like, just hit him. Just clonk him on the head. He is not worth it. Like, just <laughs> He doesn't. They, um, but they do end up having a really awesome night fight because apparently one of the Navy SEALs guys was intelligent and took the bullets out of Captain D-Head's gun. Yay! Yeah, <laughs> so that they have was a nice fight. Yeah. that was a good one. Yeah,
1: <laughs> <I> <laughs> <Nice> mean, fight. <laughs> any at that point, just any weapon was gonna. But and we didn't even mention like during the the times previous to him going full on crazy when he was like already teetering on the edge, he was cutting himself in the arm, and he had yeah, like he some sorry. pretty deep gashes already in his left forearm. I was like, Yeah, oh yeah, he's crazy, and crazy water, man. saltwater, yeah. salt water,
0: like how. I don't, I don't know, but anyway, um, Virgil ends up winning the fight because the other guy that swam with him, which I can't remember his name, he was a really good, hilarious character though because he was the guy that when the alien first came onto the ship as a water guy, he kind of freaked out and grabbed a plant in defense, and that was hilarious <laughs> and great. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I thought he was gonna yeah, like chuck it at the thing, just like, Cute, throw it yeah. right at it.
0: <laughs> oh, uh, what? No, he just like ha, plant. I didn't. <laughs> like, I've that's got my a plant kind of character. <laughs> <laughs> um, but even so, Lieutenant D Head is just not feeling any pain whatsoever, probably because of whatever's going on with him. So he manages to steal the sub. To try to get the drone to go to the aliens because he is going to kill them no matter what, and he doesn't care who dies with him, I guess. And they try to get the drone off, they fail, so it becomes now an underwater chase. Um, Linz gets in one of the subs to chase after, and Virgil is in a. I was going to say spacesuit. It's really close to spacesuit. Scuba like a, suit,
1: like a scuba suit, yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah, like a scuba suit, but it looks kind of more like a space because it's deep water. Um, he goes after in a scuba suit. They, they lose the drone, but they get in a sub fight with Lieutenant D-Head by basically bashing the subs together. Which doesn't seem like the best way to do a sub-fight. But I guess is the only way to do a sub-fight. I kind of sort of wish he would have used the crane thing more. To like jab at him or something. But eh. (laughs) Uh, he ends up falling down the side of the trench. And imploding. Because of the pressure. And also just just because that's how pressure works. And he like does a really cool implode thing and Lindsay and Virgil in the sub are about you know they're, it's filling up with water and they can't do anything about it Virgil has a scuba suit um Lindsay does not and They basically have this moment where Virgil is like, you're smart. You can get yourself out of anything. Like, think of something. Think of something to get us out of this. And she's like, you're a better swimmer. You can swim to the thing. Grab me a scuba suit and come back. And he's like, I'm not that great of a swimmer. I'm not a merman, you know? And she's like, then I'll drown and you'll take my body. And he's like, oh, what? And she's like, I'll drown and the cold water will preserve me for about 15 minutes. So you'll get me there and you'll get me resuscitated. Easy, freaking peasy, right? Uh, nope, more complicated than that, but... Nope. So you I,
1: st- I, I, <laughs> I really want to interject here only to say that, like, I don't ever really empathize with movie characters. I mean, I can appreciate the performance, but... When she starts to drown, or, like, right before, the water really covers her completely, and she starts to have that moment of realization, and she starts to freak out. I'm about to die, yeah. Yeah, I was like, oh, this is hitting me all wrong. I hate this.
0: (laughs) It was so good. It was such a good scene. It was her whole, like... Yeah, this will work. This will work. And then that water gets smaller and smaller, and Virgil like, nope. already has his like, tank on. Idea, and, she's just like, <gasps> <gasps> and she's just panic breathing, where she's going to basically drown in just like five seconds. Like, she's. Because to me, I thought she was going to try to not drown. Like, she was going to try to hold her breath while he dragged her. But no, she just straight up hugs him and drowns in his arms. And I'm like, oh my God. Like, who? Like, can you imagine? just the like your wife that yeah you've had an estranged relationship with because you're having a long distance relationship with basically but like you could tell they actually really love each other throughout the whole thing like you got this like yeah you aren't gonna separate like come on you guys actually love each other
1: which Um, technically that makes this (laughs) the second movie in our recent watches that has to do with the trope of a life or death situation that puts an estranged married couple back together
0: yeah, I yeah, I guess I guess it does. I think the other one didn't do as good of a job. I feel like this one felt genuine. Like it felt yeah. like they were just estranged because she had to be far away from the rig. To, I assume to do the business side of thing. That's where I go, and yeah. then because she's a really stubborn and strong woman, and so it's kind of sort of she. My favorite thing about it actually is that she's the one in the relationship that doesn't talk about her feelings. And that's what he's looking for. That's what he actually gets pissed off. That's why he throws away his ring, because she doesn't give him anything.
1: Mm.
0: He's not mad because he doesn't like her. He's mad because she's not showing that she loves him. That's why he's mad. That's how I interpret it, at least. And I like that it's the woman that's the one who's not good at expressing their feelings. or And that it's the guy that's pissed off that feelings are not being
1: expressed. It so, sounds like she's written as a human as opposed to just a female. <laughs>
0: Yeah, look. Yeah, you're getting it. But um, <laughs> <laughs> uh so, Yeah. So she drowns. It's a it's a horrible scene. Um he gets her back to the rig and once he gets close to the rig he can call and he's basically like, I need a defib and I need heat blanket. He needs all these things, right? Um this is where it drove me nuts because the first thing they should have done once they put her on the ground is they should have just started CPR. You should have just started chest pumps. And instead, they s- decide to just shock her, which is not how you do any of this. And A, also, there's way too much water to even shock anyway. And t- this was the one scene that broke reality for me, was how they worked yeah. on her, which is, that is the term that, like, Ts use when they're trying to save somebody they use. We worked on them. So this was definitely hollywood i like i'll forgive hollywood not doing cpr correctly because if you do cpr correctly you are breaking you're not breaking ribs you're breaking the cartilage around the ribs so you can't actually do cpr correctly like there's no way you can film it correctly and not hurt somebody um (laughs) but the 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 first thing that you do which kind of this was the 80s so like maybe that's different but the first thing that you should do in 70 rounds is you should instantly start chest pumps and then mouth to mouth, which they do do at least the 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 air pump to the to her mouth. So that's close to just making up for not doing mouth to mouth. But you definitely should be doing chest compressions. Um, anyway, uh, Cameron really tries really hard to sell that she is actually dead because it is a long scene of them trying to get her back to life in which you know she's alive by the end, so why is this scene so long? And it's basically just to show the acting of Virgil, the actor who does Virgil, because he actually did really good in this scene, too. It gets a little dramatic where he slaps her
1: alive. (laughs) I was going to say, yeah, he slapped her back to like resuscitation (laughs) with uh, the miracle slap.
0: yeah, doesn't come back to life until he calls her a bitch. So, like, no, you're a fighter, you're a bitch, like, get up, kind of thing. And I'm like, well, I mean, and she... What? What'd you call me? Like, no, I mean, yeah, it, it worked. <laughs> it worked. It worked. She, of course, comes back to life. Um, they warm her up, and they're basically like, well, we... To still have to go get the bomb because we don't want our new alien friends to get hurt.
1: Well, not only and that, but based on where they are, like, wouldn't they have the shockwave would, would have still, like, killed everyone on the rig, too, I think.
0: Oh, yeah, for sure. I think that was the other thing, was, like, the bomb also would have probably set off the nukes on the submarine as well, even if it yeah. wasn't near it. And, yeah, it's yeah, not just well, like, the alien people. All in as, all,
1: like, yeah, somebody needs to go down there and turn it off. <laughs>
0: Someone needs to go down there. And, of course, the person that gets to go down there after already doing several daring rescue attempts is Virgil. And this is where you get the reason why you had that scene of the rat drowning slash not drowning in the liquid, which the liquid is real. That stuff does actually exist. I cannot remember what it's called. And I looked it up that night. So let me see. (laughs) But there is this liquid that you can breathe called parafragilis. Fluorocarbon, perfluorocarbon, also known as Liquivent or perflubron there we go perflubron and it's basically based off of the idea that when we are in the placenta we breathe liquid we're breathing ambiotic fluid ambiotic fluids ambiotic. i don't know we're breathing fluid yeah there you go um we're breathing liquid and so we we can breathe liquid there is something in our lungs that can breathe and it's this liquid that is oxygenated liquid and basically all it it just it's just you breathing through liquid pretty much um naturally it's really hard to do the adjustment but and it looks like you're gonna drown to people but you're not drowning your body is just a adjusting because it's like this is wrong but also I'm not dying and I don't know why so it kind of panics
1: yeah it doesn't look like it would feel good
0: yeah Um, I would like to know that this stuff is is real but it's not really used that much because it's still kind of sort of in like an experimental they haven't really like perfected how to use it in ways but they have used it for situations in like deep sea diving it looked like and stuff like this I guess Um, basically the reason why he has to do it instead of doing the um, normal scuba suit is because the pressure he's going to feel, he's basically not going to survive the pressure. His, his equipment will implode on him and then he will implode. But if he is in liquid, then it won't. I don't know if that's legit science or not, but that's basically the reason why they, they have to do it.
1: Yeah, I would imagine that if, like, the pressure is somewhat regulated to the outside, then it would last a little bit longer anyway. Because we do see that the the uh, drone that they're using to kind of help lead the way at some point mm-hmm. does get, like, crushed as well.
0: Yeah. So, Virgil goes down with weights. Um, he is using one of the drones, to go down to basically lead him to the other drone that has the nuke on it. Um, that does implode. Virgil does manage to not implode, but he does get the pressure, blah, blah, blah.
1: <laughs> yeah, he starts to have shaky hands. He's like mm-hmm. not able to type correctly. He's kind of hallucinating yeah. here and there.
0: Which is the only way he can communicate is by typing on this keyboard on his wrist because you can you can breathe a liquid you can't talk through it you don't just become a mermaid like
1: yeah you it gotta, won't let you they it, it said it won't let air pass through your larynx so that you won't make sound
0: yeah that's that's how they explained it he goes to crazy this is where Linz is talking to him and through like a microphone speaker thing and. I just really liked how they were like, Linz talk to him. He's starting to hallucinate. You might want to, you know, get him back on track. And she's like, hey, you're, you're like this many fathoms deep. And they're <laughs> like, no, Linz Linz like talk to, talk to the man you love like you love him. Like the guy that straight up beat you to life. Like in and, and the, in and the good manner that you beat, you know, to be, beat, beat you back to life, you know, slap you back to life and, you know, do the CPR thing. Um, <laughs> Yeah, just <laughs> talk to him like you love him. And she basically does confess her feelings, and she does confess she's like, I I know I'm bad at talking about my feelings and like whatever. She does it a lot more poetically than I'm saying it right now, but I didn't memorize the script unfortunately. Um But he eventually gets down to where the bomb is and all of a sudden he's perfectly fine. Which you kind of sort of, I feel like you kind of realize later on why he's perfectly fine. It's not really that he adjusted. It's I feel like the aliens that were in the area helped him out. Like just being closer to them made the depth problem not an issue. Was my interpretation of why all of a sudden he can work everything. He's like, I'm fine. There's a light. We're good. Let's go ahead and disable this nuke.
1: Yeah, I think that's <laughs> and valid. They do.
0: Yeah, and they do. He disables a nuke. Monk tells him what to do overhead. And of course, there's this moment where there's two wires. And he's like, you need to cut the blue wire with the white stripe, not the red wire with the white stripe or whatever color it was. But because of the lighting, the wires look exactly <laughs> the same color. Yeah. <laughs> So you have and the, is he going to cut this one? And he doesn't cut that one, but he cuts the other one, and that ended up being the right one, and yay. No, but and they then... did it with
1: such an intense, like, fake-out, though. Because, like, he's right about to cut the he's... wire. And I he was know. like, no, not that one. And he cuts no, the other one. one. And he was like, whoa, he yeah. was that close to just blowing his ass off.
0: <laughs> I know, right? He
1: was like, right there. Oh,
0: yeah. Um. He cuts the right wire, but he basically tells them he only has five minutes worth of oxygen in his breathable liquid left to which Lindsay's like no you drop those whites you come back up and he basically gives a heartfelt message telling her not to cry he loves her he knew this was a one-way ticket but somebody had to do it kind of thing being the self-sacrificing person that he is and it's all great and everything could not, no it's not great I was devastated I was like no man you can't do this thank goodness for aliens and I was like where are those aliens oh those aliens <laughs> need to come and sure enough one of the aliens comes it looks like a manatee version of the alien from Independence Day
1: <laughs> yeah uh, outside of the exosuit
0: yeah, the alien outside the exosuit. So when you see the aliens like on the ship when they're hacking into the computer somehow. Yeah. On Independence Day, like how that alien is but surrounded by really awesome bright light.
1: Yeah. Mannerate suit. Like by it's
0: it's cool looking.
1: Some kind of a techno organic, like chitinous, like horseshoe crab physiology. Yeah, it's, it's pretty interesting.
0: The laser effects out of Rave. <laughs> I can like, you know i just...
1: <laughs> i i can't, I can't imagine because i didn't watch this in theaters growing up i mm-hmm. saw it when it was run playing on tv so i usually would watch the edited for tv version so it did cut out a few parts here and there yeah. Um but um, yeah like i can't imagine what this must have looked like to an audience in 1989 the same year that batman the movie came out and cool. uh, indiana jones and the last crusade. I mean, that yeah. was a really hot year for movies. And what this must have looked like on the big screen, I would imagine people weren't ready for it. <laughs> to see just, like, that crazy level of, like, high color and alien design for those creatures was must have been, like, pretty awesome. Pretty mind-blowing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's it's pretty cool. Oh, excuse me. Um, the alien takes Virgil and... Just takes him to the ship. This really giant ship that you later on finds out looks like a big sand dollar. He takes him in, plops him on the ground, leaves, and then the water from that room Shroops away. It and parts, gets, parts like the yeah. Red River. <laughs> yeah, parts, yeah. Red Sea, man. Red Sea.
1: Oh, the Red Sea. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. Isn't there um, a river in there, too, somewhere?
0: I mean, there's the Nile River over by Cairo, which is kind of near. But it's the Red Sea that he parts, which is not a river because it's it doesn't connect to the ocean, and it's salt water? I don't know. <laughs> I don't but... Know. I don't know, but it's called the Red Sea. Um, anyway, um, they blast his last communication black... Back at him as projected onto the water as them trying to communicate to him. And he's like, and I like how Virgil is like, you guys are cool. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what I liked about this movie. Actually, one of my, I forgot, I skipped over my favorite parts of the movie, was when the alien water being thing came onto the ship they all like lit up like the Goonies going on an adventure like they were adults, grown adults chasing this alien like they were kids searching for treasure like it was just such a refreshing kind of sort of these adults acting like kids was just adorable like it was just a fun scene like they looked so jubilous and and then Virgil kind of sort of gets that like this is cool because he's actually seeing like several of the aliens and they all look like these crazy awesome light up jellyfish many creatures and he's like this is cool like this is really cool and you guys are nice <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> like we don't me, deserve you
1: <laughs> it reminded me of the ending of uh Bill and ted's excellent adventure when they go to the future and they see mm-hmm. the the council or whoever those people were and they're yeah. basically like party on and they do the little like hand wave like with the guitar like the windmill And I was like, I feel like those guys are telling Ed Harris or or Virgil in this one. I feel like they're telling him, party on through the water. Party on, man.
0: We like you. Thank you for, you know, not blowing us up. Thank you for preventing it. We know that was hard to do. We watched the entire time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
1: We had our eye on you. I feel like they could have done it, probably. Like, they probably could have. I mean, and, and to be fair, kind of stepping back a sec for that. Um, for one of the most complex and powerful pieces of technology that like the American government has ever created it, it is, is apparently very simple to just like open and deactivate
0: i mean as long as you can tell the color of the wires
1: i guess so. i don't yeah. i don't
0: think cameron was actually given access to the actual secret files that actually tells you how to-
1: yeah okay so yeah this was the movie version in like, reality uh, it's, it's probably the movie version there's probably three wires in real life and they had to like condense it to two for like movie sake
0: yeah what is it I feel like the last mission impossible had them uh, not detonating a bomb had them <laughs> disarming a bomb and it was like 50 steps and they all had to do it at the exact same time <laughs> and three different areas <laughs> that one was complicated that one seems more realistic
1: I would imagine. But then again, this is the U.S. military we're talking about, so.
0: Well, I mean, you could just take the nuclear stuff out of it, too, like they do in 007. The world is not enough. They just take the plutonium out of the bomb. (laughs) So that way, when the thing explodes, it's not a nuclear explosion. It's just an explosion explosion.
1: Mm, Okay.
0: Yeah, you could also do that. But that's complicated because if you touch that thing to anything, then it could possibly explode on its own. And then you have nuclear blast. And also radiation is scary and you can't see radiation and radiation (laughs) is scary.
1: (laughs) You know what? Kind of tangential to this because that's what I like to do here. Um, Uh There's another 80s movie. I don't know if it's quite VHS Gems level quality, but there's a John Cusack movie from the late 80s called Fat Man and Little Boy. And it's all about the Manhattan Project. It's a fantastic movie because it's it's sort of a fictionalized account of the Manhattan Project. But well,
0: I think we could count it because, hey, this is not a VHS Gems movie. This gem is, this is a golden <laughs> movie. This is a golden age movie. This is a great movie. And I kind of sort of intentionally did that because I know and I feel like when Mitch did this, VHS Gems, back when he first started Geekly, I don't know if it was when he first started Geekly, but, I don't know, five years ago, there is one season of VHS Gems that Mitch did with Chris and Angela. Um, They were definitely watching the movies that nobody remembers, (laughs) and nobody needs, you know, like Mac and Me was on their list, yeah, and... But I I do want to explore also the really good movies that people might not know about the 80s. And even the good movies that people do know. Like, I think people do know The Abyss. I don't think a lot of people have watched The Abyss, though.
1: I would agree. I don't think I could carry a conversation about anyone I know about The Abyss. Yeah. It's like, hey, remember yeah. The Abyss? to be like, the water movie? Like, that might be all they can tell me. Yeah. Um,
0: Which... Before yesterday, I would have been like, "Yeah, that movie with the pink alien ship light thing—that—that would have. Been
1: oh, which what I by would the, have said. By the way, that also sends me on another tangent. Um, mm-hmm. I think that was a Covenant ship, to be honest, from Halo. That color scheme and the shape of the hallways—up um, until oh, my the God. End-
0: <laughs> Oh, it, it it's, is!
1: It's exactly the same like layout that you would have, especially in like some of the versus maps where they take place on Covenant ships. It's exactly yes. the same kind of curves on the walls with it's the so little crazy. embellishments. And I was weird, like, weird, hey.
0: like gravity lift thing. Yeah, exactly. And just nothing makes sense. I wonder if they did design it off of the ship in Abyss though, because it is such a cool looking thing. Um,
1: yeah. anyways, it's a, it's a cool yeah. design.
0: Yeah. So get back to the movie, you know, the ship talks (laughs) to him and then then you get back to the ship above, like the actual ship on top of the sea, not not the rig. um. And they're trying to get in contact with the rig and they can't. And the hurricane's gone. Yay. And then Virgil calls in on his little type board thing he basically calls him and said virgil, I used, virgil I call is it, here
1: i call it a power glove because that's what it reminds me of
0: <laughs> yeah on his little power glove he says virgil's here and i've got friends and basically what happens is the alien ship comes up from above and this glorious just glorious looking light up spaceship scoops up the oil rig somehow
1: <laughs> yeah because the oil rig was on the edge of both, like a chasm and this thing yeah. that the ship was rising up from the ed, from the other end of the chasm like from the downside so somehow off camera it like, pulled it, like it pulled it in it? <laughs> yeah it had to like yeah. throw like a winch on it and like pull it in um, yeah it uh, they they don't explain crazy. that part we're just that we're just accepting it just
0: just accept it it's aliens you don't yeah. need to know everything um it does that. it picks up the rig and then it picks up the ship and then it picks up several navy ships <laughs> and it
1: looks yeah. like a big
0: giant sand dollar
1: we find out well we don't know yet but i'll get to why there's so many military ships there
0: oh yeah well because during all of this i forgot they also listened to a news clip in which basically it's another cuban missile crisis because russia's like we didn't kill that navy ship and the navy's like then who did and (laughs)
1: Yeah, we're like on the verge of World War 3 basically. And this yeah, goes pretty much. this goes more into the special edition cuz we didn't clarify at the beginning, but we watched the theatrical cut.
0: Cuz I had a very busy week and I did not have enough time to yeah, watch like, like the almost 3 cut. hours.
1: Yeah, but the director's cut adds like an additional like what almost 30 40 minutes of like footage. Yep. And it has, well, like, there's definitely some extended scenes, but the bulk of the the director's cut is a much more detailed ending sequence where the aliens are like, hey, humans are a problem. Like, you guys are on the verge of destroying each other, so we're going to destroy you first. And, like, the aliens cause these giant tidal waves to, like, almost destroy the cities on the coastlines of the world but they Whoa. stop the tidal waves like before they crash they're like they're basically there's giant walls I of could water kill you, huh? but I won't
0: like yeah. I could kill you but I won't because the, it's I'm nice
1: it's basically it's, yeah it's basically a word flex but okay situation where they're like like we can wipe you out but we're not going to we just want you to know that we could unless you guys get better at this whole being human shit and so that that's kind of like there's a there's a much more extended uh discussion between the aliens and the, and um Virgil when he's like recovering from you know the uh-huh. the water thing and they're basically okay. the, through images on like that same screen that they have behind him like on the wall of water they're showing him images of the world getting ready to go to war and ed harris is basically or well brigman is basically trying to appeal to the human race he's like, he's like no we're like yeah we okay. we have problems but we 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 can work this out we're trying to be better And the only other underwater, like (laughs) yeah, the only thing that changes the aliens' mind is similar. It's the same scene in this one where they show Virgil the little screen of him sending the last message to Lindsay, which is "Love you, wife." Love you, wife. Yes. So the aliens are like, "Okay, well you guys are capable of love, so we're going to give you a second chance." And that's when um, the rest of the movie kind of picks up to the normal ending, which is the alien ship you know, goes up, and that's why all of those Navy ships were all around there, because we were actually on the verge of starting World War III with the Russians, but the aliens, using their super sophisticated water tech, kind of basically, like, shook us into, like, oh, we should maybe kind of figure out what we're doing wrong here before they flood our cities. Yeah. Really changes the tone of the movie, if you think about it. It's like, wow, like, that was like the, the. I guess you could call it the Cameron cut <laughs> of the movie.
0: Oh, my God.
1: Oh, you I are can't. so done with this, aren't you? <laughs> I'm
0: done with cuts. <laughs> I am fine with director's cuts, like straight to DVD, whatever. Like, I, hey, I, I get it. To Sometimes be fair, the execs don't let you do the message you want to do.
1: To be fair, Which, yeah. at the day that we are recording this... Um, wow. Dis- Disney and Marvel released the Zemo cut. <laughs>
0: the Zemo cut, I and, watched
1: it, and <laughs> it has it, it is everything I hoped it would be.
0: <laughs> oh, that was so good! I love it. The if you don't know, we are watching on our other podcast, Geeks Watch, through Geekly Media. We are currently watching Falcon and Winter Soldier, and on the at last episode, we watched um, Zemo. Just did just awesome awkward dance for like 5 seconds. It was it was glorious dance and Marvel came out and said, "Oh yeah, there's there's a lot more cuts of that dance. Like there's a lot more of the dances pretty much and everybody on the internet was like Released the Zemo cuts and today Marvel was like okay I just released an hour long video of a loop of the cuts Yeah, and it's great it is excellent I did not watch the full hour but I watched probably five minutes of oh, it no, just yeah. laughing
1: you, you get the whole yeah. gist of it in that first five minutes it's just a, like, yeah. an endless loop
0: endless loop of just this guy dancing and you're like how am I gonna hate him I'm never gonna hate him he's not evil anymore I don't care all the bad stuff he did he claps when he dances <laughs>
1: yeah he's 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 relatable he's he's a guy's guy
0: yes um i like this movie i think it's great as is i don't think it needs to be retouched or redone i don't even think it needs to do the whole like crazy awesome high def stuff either i think it's great as it is keep the effects as they are don't george lucas it and add in more monsters or aliens or whatever um (laughs) the one thing that I feel like didn't hit for me. And I think it's because it usually hits for me on sci-fi films. I didn't love the scoring of this movie. Hmm. Like it just wasn't my favorite. And the one part where it was very obvious. I didn't love it was the part actually where the alien says Virgil. It gets this really like almost child operatic, like a bunch of children singing like a high, like a Christmas song or something. Okay. And because the alien looks so angelic, like, to me, it's too much on the nose as a reference to, like, faith in angels and stuff, which might be the intention. It's just not an intention I liked or appreciated. And I just wanted the score to be a little bit different there. You know, but not and- that I know what I would want it to be because I'm not a composer. I just really love music. but And, just- and that's
1: that's interesting because the, the composer was Alan Silvestri. He's done a lot of stuff.
0: I know. And I've liked but, some of his stuff, but this that that particular scene just did not hit for me. I, d- I, I didn't I agree. feel like no.
1: Yeah, I agree with you though. I mm-hmm. felt like that scene with him floating towards the alien ship with the other alien, <laughs> like it was trying to do like a like a Tim Burtony Danny Elfman kind of thing.
0: Yeah, that's what it was. Just it just didn't feel like it belonged. Yeah,
1: yeah. It didn't. It didn't hit right. Yeah, I totally agree with you. But yeah, Ellen Silvestri has mm-hmm. been like a complete like you know home run hitter for so many different movies and you're absolutely right I hadn't considered that that the score was completely unmemorable like I can't think of a single yeah. theme or a musical sting in the movie that like stands out to me and yet he's the guy who done music for things like Forrest Gump Captain America, The Avengers Polar Express I mean this dude oh, I mean he did Ready Player One recently like this guy he did Back to the Future he yeah. was, like, the guy who did the music for that. Like, I mean, looking at this guy's IMDb page, it's like, okay, name a favorite movie. It's on here. Like, there's something he's mm-hmm. done that you're, like, that you love. But, yeah, this one was kind of just, like, yeah, he just phoned it in.
0: Yeah. And I don't want to blame him for that. It could be that's what he did, what he was supposed to do. That's what Cameron was looking for or something. Because Cameron really <laughs> did make them seem like they were angels. So.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Maybe that is what – yeah, he was just doing his job, you know, but yeah, it's just like that was it. But I feel like that's the only score piece I remember at all, though, is that one piece.
1: Yeah, I, I would agree.
0: I don't remember. It's a lot – because a lot of the tension building is used with, I think, silence.
1: Yeah, and that could be, be it too. So, I mean, some yeah. people think that – um that if if uh if you can rem if what was it? If you think about a movie's score then it failed at its job because some people have the mentality that um it's supposed to blend in and you're not supposed to think about it. It's just supposed to kinda be in the background. Yes. But I I mean there's some movies yeah, I don't either. I totally think like no, like a music the music should be just as impactful. And Mm -hmm. for this one to be like completely forgettable is like I think worse than being something yeah. that you notice. Yeah. I don't think there are a lot of people out there buying the soundtrack for this movie.
0: Yeah, I don't I don't think so. I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think they're going to look you know, it up on Spotify and downloading it. So.
1: <laughs> no, yeah, I listen to a lot of soundtracks. In fact, one of my daily mixes is nothing but soundtracks. None of these, like, mm. none, none of this score would be on that mix. <laughs> yeah, um, I...
0: I yeah. Oh, sorry. I was going to say me, too. I also have oh. a daily mix of soundtracks. <laughs> so.
1: Now, I want to bring up something kind of interesting because I'm me and I like to bring up dumb things like this. But mm-hmm. I noticed that this isn't the only movie that came out in that time period that was about mm-hmm. deep sea exploration and some kind of underwater threat or aliens. Um, and I did a little research on this one. And in between 1989 and 1990... Like within the span of mm-hmm. ten months, yeah. five movies about this basically the same thing came out, having to do with deep sea research, and then something going horribly wrong. And it's probably one of those—I um, forget what the exact term for it is—of like you know when when two movies come out around the same time. That are kind of kind similar. Of yeah, like, for instance, there was that one summer when we had Dante's Peak and Volcano, both about volcanoes going erupting in a city. Or that other uh-huh. year that we had K-9 and Turner and Hooch. And probably one of the b- most obvious is the year that we had Deep Impact and Armageddon both come out in the same year. Or Ants uh-huh. and a Bug's Life. Um, so well, this- that was...
0: That was crazy intentional because the guy that did ants was part of Disney. knew they were working on Bug's Life and pushed to get ants out first. Uh-huh. I can't remember his name, Linz, Linz something. He's also the guy that pissed off Robin Williams during Aladdin. Oh, too. And he's also he is the guy that told Robin Williams that he couldn't be part of Fern Gully because they had him for Genie, even though Robin Williams had already signed on to do Fern Gully well before he ever signed on to do Aladdin. Um, he's the guy that pushed. For that. He's just a total jerk. I can't I wish I remembered his names. But then then he left Disney and when he left Disney he tried to do his own projects and Ants was one of his own projects and it it it's intentionally Bugs Life because he wanted to combat against Disney which I like Ants. I don't hate Ants, but Bugs Life is a better film.
1: (laughs) Oh yeah, absolutely. Like it's yeah, DreamWorks is kind of a weird
0: Yeah. So, of course, yeah. but
1: anyways, that. yeah. That was so, intentional. I'm sorry. <laughs> so that this particular year between ni- 89 and 90, uh, we had Deep Star 6, which I remember because that was a really creepy underwater uh-huh. movie. And then there was Leviathan, Lords of <laughs> the Deep, then The Abyss mm. came out, and then there was another movie called The Rift. So mm. I was like, okay, so rather than having just the usual... You know, two movies It was common for this idea Because yeah, sometimes studio executives Get wind of another studio Working on a certain type of movie And they try to one-up it And usually come out with their movie first Which is why the, the first movie that comes out Usually seems to be inferior Because they rush it um, but yeah, this one you had five movies all coming out within the span of ten months, which they were all very very similar in style. In fact, I I think I remember Deep Star Six more because it was more of a horror movie um, than The Abyss because The Abyss was more of like a oh aliens can be our friends but like humanity needs to learn to like not fight with each other. Mm-hmm. You know, so it had a little bit more of an after school special feel to it. Um, yeah. And there hasn't really been any good underwater movies in a very long time, but not too long ago, Kirsten Stewart came out with a movie called Underwater. And that one uh, is basically kind of another, you know, people working in an underwater facility, something bad happens, Hmm. and, um, you know, they have to fight for their survival. I think the last one I can think of before this was Sphere, which was adapted from a Michael Crichton book. It had uh, Queen Latifah, Samuel L. Jackson, and Dustin Hoffman in it. It wasn't good. It was not a good movie. I think Sharon Stone was also in it. Crichton? Um, okay. What? Okay. I like I like Michael Crichton. Michael Crichton did Jurassic Park. He you know uh-huh. created the idea for ER. He uh-huh. did Westworld. But okay. Sphere, I think it either it was just always written poorly, and we just didn't realize it, or the person that directed the movie didn't do a very good job of it because Sphere. I will, like, go on record as saying it's a really, really bad movie. It's just really, really poorly directed.
0: Wow. Well. There's that. It's not that weird for trends to happen like that. Like, I feel like this trend could have been because also at the time we were doing a lot of underwater exploration. So it probably would be something that people were thinking about. And when you see, like, real science happening, you're like, how can I make sci-fi out of that? So the studios do that. Um, The main thing why I say that is because that was also big in, like, 1950s sci-fi films, which was when we were all really worried about nuclear power, and we didn't know a lot about it. So that was where you got films like, I was going to say, like Godzilla but I mean, even any like the giant ant film or the giant woman, because it was like nuclear power, turned them giant nuclear power, turned this innocent creature into horror fest. And then also the space race was happening, too. So we got a lot of sci fi films later on about aliens from space because we were starting to think maybe we're not the only ones out there or aliens living on the moon. Um, so. Like sometimes it's a trend because it's already being talked about and that's kind of sort of how inspiration works is you're inspired by real world things um also sometimes it's a trend just because it's a random trend like right now we're going through the trend of time loops so (laughs) which i was surprised you did not mention because we have watched (laughs) some of the time loops um no, oh, no. I
1: I, I posted in our group chat a video about somebody explaining time loops. Oh, phenomena. yeah, that
0: was you who posted that. I did watch that one, by the way.
1: Ah. Um, awesome.
0: <laughs> yeah. So we don't just ignore your text. It's okay.
1: Well, um, that makes that makes one of you. There's still four other people, <laughs> or three <laughs> three other people.
0: That's true. Um. So. Yeah. Yeah. Trends happen. The abyss is definitely a good version of this trend, but the abyss is also very comparable to close encounters, as well. And the idea that the aliens are nice, and it's the humans that are crap, (laughs) like so.
1: Which I mean, I would agree with that assessment. I'm like, we're (laughs) far too divided and um, still an infantile species with. Um, too much knowledge, not enough wisdom. That's me on yeah. my soapbox.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's true. And this is all lying on the fact that in order for aliens to have this technology, they have to be more advanced than we are. So, of course, they have to be smarter. And so, of course, they have to be that ideal version of what we want to be, which is better. So, I mean, I assume that's where this thought comes from. That. We want humans to be better and that's why The aliens are better Because this is also from Not War of the Wards The Day the Earth Stood Still It's probably one of my first thinking Of aliens being better than humans And wanting them to be better So they take away technology In that one so that we can Be better Woohoo And that's in the original one not just in the The new one that came out not, Not
1: the Keanu Reeves version
0: yeah, not the Canaries version and the original version, which I cannot remember who was in it. But I actually really like the original version, um, even if it's like a little cheesy Tin Man alien. But <laughs> um, classic sci-fi is great. Um, but anyways, <laughs> that is the Abyss, pretty much. I think we don't really need to talk about what happened to Cameron afterwards. All the actors were fairly well known too, so they go places. Cameron yeah. does more things. He has a park in Disney now. Not a full park, like a little quarter park within a park, but still.
1: <laughs> you no, know, I I do want to say, though, that, like, for Cameron, I mean, this would be his fourth major, one, two, three, four. Yeah, this would be his fourth major studio film. He started, okay, so before, he was, like, a production assistant. He did art. Yeah. And he did some secondhand directing stuff on, like, other minor Hollywood things. His first uh-huh. actual movie that he directed was Spawn 2, the—what is it? No, it was Piranha 2, The Spawning. Piranha a, 2. A, a very, very cheesy, late 70s, early 80s, um, uh, who? like, horror movie. Okay, you start um, I, somewhere, right? And <laughs> yes, and I've I've seen this movie. Like, I had no idea he directed it. I just remember thinking, like, man, this movie is just some of the worst, like, campy nineteen fifties throwback. But it still looks really cool. Like, you could tell it was <laughs> done on a budget. This was a cheap movie, but it was done by somebody who knew how to work with his limitations. I didn't put it together till years later when I found out. Oh, that was James Cameron's first movie, and then his second movie was Terminator. Terminator for being as low budget as it was was like very high caliber yeah like this thing except for a couple of shots where it's an obvious dummy that's supposed to be arnold schwarzenegger it looks really really good Uh aliens was i mean amazing it was such a good sequel and like he's basically just been sorry it's a sequel
0: that's considered better than the original
1: yeah aliens is
0: better than Alien. I mean, Alien is also a good movie, but Aliens is just... just Yeah, And,
1: and I would say the same thing, and that was him making a sequel to somebody else's movie. I would argue that it's exactly the same situation with the sequel to his own movie, Terminator 2... It, in my opinion, blows away all of his previous movies. And that's where he became the true mm-hmm. like blockbuster superstar director that we all know today is starting there. Because he's taken everything that he learned from all his previous movies, I mean everything from like the casting to the directing to the special effects work. I mean Terminator 2 special effects still stack up to today for the most part because uh, he uses, he knows when to use practical, when to use the CGI. He does it very sparingly. Whereas mm-hmm. other less talented people will just put it everywhere. And it, that's what kind of diminishes its value, is that he yeah. knows how to incorporate it. Like, he was an artist through and through, like, from the beginning. So he's always had that eye. Like, one of my favorite little pieces of trivia, too, for, like, Titanic, he's the one that's drawing that picture of Rose when she's on the the couch with mm-hmm. the... Because he's an artist. Like, he knows what he's doing. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. yeah. Like, it, like everything he's done he's one of those few people that I feel he's just always been up 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 with everything he does at one point he was supposed to do Spider-Man he never did it went to Raimi Uh at one point he was supposed to do Battle Angel Alita he didn't it went to um Rodriguez I want to say um Robert Rodriguez there's a lot of things that he was supposed to work on that he ended up not doing but I feel like that's ultimately for the better because he everything he's done has been on an upward trajectory like I haven't seen yeah. anything like with Tarantino like I haven't seen him do anything where I'm like well it's not as good as his earlier stuff I was like no like he's no. always pushing some I'm kind improving. of boundary
0: yeah so I mean I guess things are looking up for the Avatar sequel coming out soon if i mean i don't know <laughs> eventually
1: but it, i yeah. mean he's he's filming like three or four of them back to back so yeah
0: it was i remember it was supposed to come out when the avatar land opened in disney's animal kingdom <laughs> which was like four years ago now I <laughs>
1: has, think. has has it been 10 years now since the first movie came out
0: i think it has
1: yeah i'm I mean, pretty sure it
0: has because I feel it like it a- came out right before I entered college, which would be 10 years ago. Ouch.
1: So. Yeah, 2009. Yeah. So it's been over yeah. 10 years now.
0: Yeah. So he's got to get that. I mean, as far as I know, they f- filmed it or started filming it or something. Uh, I don't yeah. Know.
1: I don't know when yeah. they're planning well, we'll on see. releasing them. But
0: <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm excited for it. Avatar Land in Disney's Animal Kingdom is amazing and I don't even love Avatar that's probably my least favorite of his films but that's mainly for like the story of it not necessarily for the filming of it like I can watch it and recognize yeah this is amazing but <laughs> I'm like that's not a story I love but, but I think that's what he might do he sets up with what you know and then the sequel is the potential the sequel is what he actually wants
1: you to see because you, you know have what? to
0: have a basic setup in order you, to blow people's minds.
1: <laughs> you definitely... You, you sold me on it now. I was kind of thinking, you know what? Avatar 2 might be where he finally starts to dip in quality. But you're right. He knocks out the sequels out of the park. So this, this has to be good. It, 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 there's just no alternative.
0: We will see.
1: 2022, um, apparently, is when it's supposed to come out.
0: Yeah. All right, John. If... Anybody wants to talk to you about how brilliant Piranha 2 <laughs> is? Where can they get at you?
1: Yeah, if you want to talk about uh, Cameron and his penchant for sequels, uh, let's uh, discuss this on Twitter. I am at Magic Bollocks. Uh, but if you feel so inclined, I'm also on Instagram, Facebook, and um, Discord, I want to say, and Twitch as at Magic okay. Bollocks. On- <laughs>
0: on all the things <laughs> at mon- magic bollocks um, if you want to talk to me about whether or not scores are important in films or not um, you can tweet at me as at jmbaileywrites you can find archives of this podcast and the other podcasts that John and I are on on com. I suggest you listen to Geeks Watch especially if you like this one because we watch TV as a bigger group and react to the episodes. And currently, we're watching uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier. Um, you can talk to Geek Elite Media as at Geek Elite Media on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook.com forward slash Geek Media. Uh, we also have a Patreon page with exclusive content. So if you would, if you would be interested in being our Patreons, like we are lowly artists back in ancient Rome, needing to live with that senator so that we can build that beautiful marble statue that is podcasting, Um, please join us on our Patreon. Um, We are Geek Elite Media there as well. Also, do not forget to, wherever you're listening to this on whatever podcatcher you are on, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to us because that also is a giant help. Um, Until then... Always remember to geek Geek
1: out. out.
0: This concludes our broadcast.